0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your Nimbus 2001 ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: Happy New Year, everybody. We're going to be discussing chapter seven and eight of Chamber of Secrets today. I started off the new year with a visit to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Aww. in Orlando. Oh,
2: how nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was there yesterday. I'm in town for a wedding actually i think one of our listeners (laughs) weddings i say i think because i think she is a current listener uh rachel and with all the wedding planning andrew it's possible she let it slip
3: (laughs) you should ask her at her wedding when they do speeches, you should be like, hey, just FYI, are you still listening to us?
1: <laughs> no, no, just before the I do's, you should say, uh, Rachel, by the way,
0: yeah, do you yeah, listen to the show Yeah, still? when they say, does I anybody object. have an objection? You'd yeah. be like, hey, wait a minute, I have a follow-up question. She definitely listened to another podcast, and believe it or not, that's how um, these two met. But anyway, nice. um, I'm in Orlando. For this. So that's
1: why you're there you're the you're the thread that connects <laughs> are them. you
0: the officiant oh, no i'm not <laughs> yeah, the you officiant. should be officiating i'm this not the wedding. officiant somebody else who is associated is and that's enough for me that's that's enough for me i don't like the pressure hosting this shows enough pressure yeah
1: <laughs> well i'm giving you today off basically so you should be prepared to host the wedding
0: right right but anyway so the first thing we did because i went with pat and he hasn't done Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure at Islands of Adventure at Universal at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. We made that our top priority. And this is still the newest Harry Potter ride in the parks. It only opened up, what, three years ago, I think, three, four years ago? Something like that. The line right at the park opening, it was a three hour wait. <laughs> I was like, we need to get in that line now. Because it's going to be long all day. We don't know if the ride's going to break down later on in the day. And that's our top priority for being here. We're mainly here so you can do this ride. And of course, I wanted to do the ride again. It was a three-hour posted wait time. And we waited a full three hours. Luckily, though, there was no ride breakdowns, which I'm just grateful for. That would have sucked having to wait even longer if the ride went down. So it looks like the the ride's been in better shape. Though it did break down later in the day when we tried to ride it again when there was a two-hour wait. (laughs) Don't you
1: know people that can (laughs) just slide you in?
0: You know, we don't really talk anymore, so I'm not going to be that guy that shows up after.
1: No, we did
3: used to have people, yeah, who were in the shops at Universal waiting to let us on rides.
1: Eric and I lucked out when we went because it had just rained, right? And so we were able to get back into the line before it really started to form. I think so. I I think we also had a couple of beverages in us as well, which makes Hagrid's... uh, ride much more enjoyable
3: yeah the off menu items i think too we were shown and uh right you can have the, the fire
1: whiskey or get a fire whiskey andrew left us early that day he wasn't waiting around for me you,
3: right but <laughs> but andrew my 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 big question is did you make pat ride in the sidecar or did you ride in the sidecar
0: no he wanted to do the motorbike so i was like you know whichever one you want that's fine and he really enjoyed it that was his top priority I, I so yeah, I was in the sidecar. I don't know if there's much of a difference. I guess the motorbike's better. I like the motor. I've only done the motorbike. I do oh. like both.
3: We hyped it up when the ride came out. We were all very like one or the other, but they're very di- they're slightly different experiences, and both very good.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing ride. I mean, I'm not a intense coaster person. That's probably my limit, this Hagrid ride. It's just so fast. It doesn't slow down through its like three minutes. It's so cool. I mean, there's things that if you don't read about it ahead of time, you will be surprised by some of the elements that the coaster does. It's, it's very high tech. And that's one reason they've had quite a hard. I mean, I remember when they launched it, uh, I was there for the opening and um, they could barely get it. Going on on launch day, it was kind of a mess. So it's gotten mm. better. Um, again because of how intricate it is. But um, yeah. Other than that, you know, Wizarding Worlds is as, as good as ever. It's really cool seeing everybody so enchanted by what they're seeing. There's so many people there, of course, who haven't been there before. And and I still remember the first time I visited the park and just being blown away with how immersive it is. And it's nice seeing people experience that. I saw some fun fan made shirts. Um, There was somebody who had a shirt that said, I'm just here for the butterbeer, which I thought was kind of cute. <laughs> there was one shirt, somebody made a shirt that said, I'm that daughter, you bitch.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Sell that, that shirt. That was clever. Sell it.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one.
0: Did you catch a performance of Celestina Warbeck and her Banshees? No, because we only went to the Islands of Adventure. We didn't oh, go over to okay. Alley, yeah, but saw that show only when
1: you perform with her, Eric. I know. Yeah, I'm well, not going unless you're easy. on stage.
0: You know that's on video, by the way.
3: Megan's video. I, I I'll share it. Yeah, we I have found to get it that. on old hard drive. But okay,
0: well then you guys got to have a whole new experience, Andrew, when you take him to London. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, only other things I'll mention: the merchandise has gotten better and better. I mean, there's some beautiful stuff. I didn't buy anything, but. It was tempting. If you're going for the first time, we get questions like this all the time. I'm going to the Wizarding World for my first time. What do you guys recommend? Get there early. Stay at a Universal Park because if you do, or sorry, stay at a Universal Hotel because if you do, you get to go into the parks an hour earlier. So that can help beat some of the um, long wait times. Prioritize, you know, just figure out. I, I would give a day to Islands of Adventure and a day to the other Universal Park. Buy a park hopper so you can take the Hogwarts Express and experience both parks in the same
1: day. Did you wear your choo-choo
0: sweatshirt? I wore my Deathly Hallows button-down collared shirt I got from Target like five, six years ago. That's that's a classic. Do they still do
1: the uh, light shows
0: at night? We had to leave. I, don't, I think some days a year they do. I think it's a seasonal thing. I'm not sure when exactly. But
1: that's in the other park, though, actually, right? Because it's on Hogwarts?
0: Well, that's where I was. I was in Hogwarts. Oh, there. you were in that one. Okay. Yeah but yeah i don't i I don't think this time of year they are. I think they around Christmas time they do. Pat wore the muggle cash shirt, so the show was represented. Oh. The only other thing I'll add closing point, I had hot butter beer again. I also had cold, regular butter beer again. Hot butter beer is so good. That one takes the cake for me. The froth actually comes up to your mouth unlike with the cold butter beer. It kind of like falls backward when you tilt the cup up. So if you want the maximum you know liquid the froth ratio, the one that 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 God intended. I think you need to have the hot butter beer; it just works better for some reason. It's the science of it all. I'm all for this. Noted. Anyway, those are those are some of my notes from uh, the Wizarding World. Good times. Hagrid ride is absolutely amazing. Still, probably my favorite one. So,
3: well, now, did you see any uh, Easter eggs for the Hogwarts Legacy ruins uh, that are coming up?
0: Uh, uh, I was thinking about you- that when I went through the queue because apparently the ruins of Hogwarts from this new Hagrid ride will be in the game and. In- I, I was thinking about that. I was studying up. I got a PS5. Yeah, Mike, got a PS5 from Santa.
2: Yay. Wow.
1: <laughs> from myself. So yes, from Santa.
0: <laughs> from Santa Micah. Yep. Yeah. Before we get to chapter by chapter today, since it is the new year, just wanted to do a sort of new year check in with everybody in terms of your relationship with MuggleCast. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app. We'd also like you to tell a friend about the show. Maybe they're, uh, you have a friend who's looking for a, a podcast that helps them escape from the day to, their day-to-day life. Maybe they love Harry Potter and you think they'd like this type of thing. Tell a friend about the show. Also, make sure you're following us on social media so you never miss show updates. And if you're looking for a way to financially support us, do check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash mugglecast. And new on Patreon this year, we are doing two bonus mugglecasts per month. So this is an additional show that we record Sometimes we just don't have time, especially now with chapter by chapter, to discuss what else is going on in the Wizarding World fandom. So we're going to be doing two installments a month to talk about more of uh, what's going
1: on. So, really quickly, speaking of bonus Muggle Cast, um, I was listening to our latest episode to prepare. Well, actually, our latest chapter by chapter episode to prepare for this one, because quite honestly, I, I don't even remember where we were uh, in the book. <laughs> so it's been a uh, while. I noticed in my feed, You had released the bonus Muggle cast we did on Alan Rickman's uh, diary, uh, which is really cool. And it's free. Folks should check it out if they haven't. However, I was listening to this on the train going to work on Thursday. As I'm listening to this, somebody gets onto the train, sits down next to me. What do they pull out? but Alan Rickman's Diary. Oh, that's funny. So it was very strange to be listening to that little bonus muggle cast and have somebody sit down next to me with the same book. I love it. I was a little creeped out by it, (laughs) to be honest with you. That is is freaky,
0: but that's also pretty cool.
2: Do you think you have a stalker, Micah?
1: (laughs) Maybe. I was going to be nice and say to him, oh, you know, actually, I'm Listening to something that about what you're reading. Maybe I could have <laughs> converted him to a fan. You should have had one of those meet-cute
0: moments where you take one of your AirPods and you put it in his ear and oh, you both wait. listen to the butter of cats. That's not
3: creepy at all.
1: Some like 60-year-old guy, that would have been real good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was funny. I wanted to share it.
0: And also, one little shout out, too. We got this message from somebody on social media. Their name is Ember, and they were wondering if we could give a shout out to their fiancé. His name is Oleg. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. O-L-E-G. We're Oleg's favorite podcast. They go on road trips to Universal, and they always listen to MuggleCast. And so they're just big fans. And Ember was asking for a shout out for Oleg. So there you go, Oleg. Thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. All right. So, Micah, let's get into chapter by chapter now.
1: I I appreciate you entrusting me to start the new year off, hopefully the right way.
3: Yeah, seeing Uh, as how you admitted, you're like, I don't know where we were in the book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we begin with chapter seven, how appropriate to start the new year, Mudbloods and Murmurs. And actually, it's really Laura that I'm entrusting to start the year off right, because we're doing our seven-word summary, and she is up first.
2: No pressure. All right. Nepotism.
1: Reigns. Supreme.
0: When. Draco. Receives.
1: Brooms. (laughs) Perfection. (laughs) Perfection. That was really good.
2: (laughs) Honestly, I feel like, you know, having been off for a couple of weeks, I think we did well.
1: I don't hate it one bit. Very impressed. Very impressed. Uh, And I do think it's worth mentioning at the top here before we get started that 2023 is the 25th anniversary of Chamber of Secrets. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if we get any uh, fun facts or anniversary editions. Who knows uh, what's to come? I don't know exactly what month. Offhand, it was published, but probably summer. We can celebrate it the entire year. Yeah, especially during chapter by chapter. Speaking
3: of anniversary editions, if Thomas Taylor didn't illustrate it, I don't want it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Shout out to that guy; he's great. (laughs) Yes. So, speaking of nepotism, the the first discussion I wanted to have in this chapter is about money, and uh, we begin to see the influence that the Malfoy family's wealth. And has and the impact you know it it has at Hogwarts um, specifically. Hermione calls out that Draco bought his way onto the Slytherin Quidditch team, but I'm kind of curious to get the group's thoughts as we think a little bit more about this. Think a little bit deeper. Is it possible that Draco didn't buy his way on? That he got on initially purely on talent? We seem to jump to conclusions, and I I, both can be true here, right? Both things can be true, Mm. Uh, but you know, as we analyze this in a little bit of a different way, I I wanted to get all of your thoughts.
0: Yeah, when I was thinking about this question, the first thing I thought about: well, do we know if Lucius and Narcissa were talented Quidditch players? Did they even play Quidditch? Because just thinking about how Harry arguably got his skill from his dad, I looked it up. I didn't really see anything. I'm sure Draco was a good enough Quidditch player for a second year. I doubt he's a very he was a very talented Quidditch player from the get-go or had inherited any sort of skill though, it seems. Right.
2: So I think we have to remember back to book one when it's very clear during flying lessons that Draco does have some amount of natural talent when it comes mm-hmm. to how to operate a broomstick. Um so I think it, it would be fair to say that he's okay. At least okay. I don't see why he would remain on the Slytherin Quidditch team for multiple years after this if he wasn't any good. So I think there has to be some level of talent there. Is he as good as Harry? Probably not. But I think we are predisposed as readers to already write Draco off as saying he's not talented. He just bought his way onto the team. When really, it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's that. And it's also that he's got some athletic talent.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think that's fair. Yeah, I think Harry's first impression during the remember all scene in year one is that Draco's just had a lot many more years to practice being on a broom. Right. Um. So Harry's very intimidated by that. Uh, at the very least, and yeah, I, th- I think it just shows that there's a lot of room where that you know we kind of want to see. I would have liked to have seen what that conversation was like getting Draco into the team. Maybe there were tryouts. Maybe he did pass, and then Lucius has a goodwill gesture, like also to grease the wheels a little bit. Is like, oh well, my son's on the team. I can now invest in all these brooms for everybody, and everybody's like, wow, we made the right choice. These are awesome things.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a yes and I think. Draco is probably very talented at flying, and his parents also have the financial resources to be able to get the entire team new Nimbus two thousand and ones. And yeah, it's it's an added bonus at the end of the day. And I would say Lucius is a presumably a proud Slytherin alum, right? Um, who would want to support his house? His son happens to be playing on the Quidditch team. And he, we know that he has the money to be able to back uh, a purchase like that. I just remember the first time I read it. Oh, of course, Lucius is just buying Draco's way onto the Quidditch team.
0: Yeah, I still believe he mainly got on it. You, with, you do? I believe he mainly got on it because of the fact that his dad bought all the brooms. Like that's the main driver of, of his joining the team. It's not so much his skill.
3: It's kind of the the whole energy they radiate to when they crash the Gryffindor's practice to like, come. oh, well, we we need it too. We need the pitch because we have a new Seeker. It's just like very F.U. Gryffindor. Like, look at these new brooms. Very F.U. Gryffindor is just like that shows that it's not about their merit or their capabilities. It shows that they're trying to throw their weight around a little bit more. And so I think that whole energy is just like speaks also that Draco is not that like really good.
1: Mm hmm. You could also blame Wood for the fact that they weren't able to practice because he went through all of the different uh strategies that morning mm. that kept them for hours from getting out onto the pitch. So <laughs> <laughs> And I guess it is worth setting the stage a little bit. You know, Harry gets up that morning super early. Colin is latched onto him like a leech all the way down to the Quidditch pitch, nagging at him. Uh so he's tired he's frustrated. He has to listen to Wood for hours on end, falling asleep until he finally gets out onto the Quidditch pitch where he is woken up by the fresh air uh, only to find out that the Slytherins uh, have taken over the pitch because they have this new seeker. So I did want to at least uh, set the stage a little bit. The other thing I wanted to note uh, was that, you know, we were fine with McGonagall giving Harry a little bit of an edge In Sorcerer's Stone. Remember, she gives him a Nimbus 2000 when he joins the Quidditch team, but yet we're so upset that Lucius (laughs) provides the Slytherin team with Nimbus 2001. And if we really think about it, Harry could have bought new brooms for the entire Gryffindor team if he really wanted to because he is loaded.
0: Yeah, he could have. He's
2: also 12. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: (laughs) I think we have to remember that, right? Like, he's still a literal child.
3: Yeah. He's he's hoarding all his wealth. <laughs> and I
0: wonder how the team would take to that. Oh, I, a twelve year old, an orphaned twelve year old, bought the entire team next gen broomsticks. I wonder how they would react to that. Maybe it's like something it would actually I don't know if Harry would want them to know that he's able to afford an entire set of high tech broomsticks. It would be really
3: hilarious if Harry did do that though. And then it sparked, like, not in like the broom equivalent of an arms race among the other <laughs> houses, too, where everybody's racing to get their whole team
1: the whole, like, the best broom. This is what I wanted to bring up because I don't think that there should be a competitive advantage in school sports. Right. There should be a standardization of flying equipment. Four quidditch matches. You can't have one team that's on Nimbus 2001s and then another team that one person has a Nimbus 2000, others have clean sweeps, and it's just, it's not balanced. So you're not going to have, presumably, you're not going to have a fair match.
0: And that's what bothers me more than anything that this type of thing is even allowed. Everybody should have the same exact broomsticks because You look at other types of competitive matches, look at like wrestling, there's weight classes or just Mm. look at baseball or like Little League baseball or soccer. They're broken up by age to keep things fair. That's what should be happening with Quidditch.
2: But this is Hogwarts, not the YMCA. (laughs) Mm. There are no rules here.
1: So, Andrew, going off of something that you said earlier Really believing that it's the money that's talking here. We do see the Malfoy family influence come into play later on in the book when Mm -hmm. Dumbledore is removed from his post uh, by the school governors. We know that Malfoy was behind that. And then we can even extend it out if we wanted to to Prisoner of Azkaban when Lucius gets the ministry to execute Buckbeak for quote unquote attacking Draco. So this is kind of laying the groundwork a bit for the power and influence of the Malfoy family in the wizarding world. And their willingness to interfere, yeah. Speaking of laying the groundwork, the other kind of main point I wanted to talk about in this chapter is we see a lot of setup for the rest of the book in these few pages. And um, it all starts out when Ron comes to the defense of Hermione because Draco calls her a mudblood. And Ron goes on to explain the meaning of the word mudblood. He gives us greater insight into most pureblood wizarding families and how they think. And I know that uh, there's a lot of feelings here because Ron is not the one who does this in the movies. Uh, He's belching slugs and that's about it. Uh, And actually, I believe a lot of this is given over to Hermione to explain what a mudblood is.
2: I have feelings about it because, again, this is more Ron erasure. Um, this is another example of all of Ron's really great moments being given over to Hermione in the films. Um, and the fact that in the movie what we get is Ron belching up slugs just makes him comic relief. But what's really happening here? is he's belching up slugs and he's righteously indignant at what has happened and is providing a lot of really important background to further flesh out the wizarding world for us as readers, for Harry, for Hermione, And it ultimately, you know, snowballs to become very important in this book, but also later on in Half-Blood Prince. Um, So this was just such a great scene to revisit because I had honestly forgotten about it. And it, you know, still gives me some some feelings about the way the movies chose to portray this.
3: Right, it's not just Hermione; it's Hagrid that gets his lines too, yes. and they go. And then Hermione and Hagrid go back and forth about things. That's all Ron, you know, in the books. But I, it's so weird reading Ron said, or you know, like because yeah. I just can't <laughs> still hear it in Hermione's voice, even when I'm reading Ron's. It's nuts.
0: That needs to be on a T-shirt. Dot dot dot. Ron said.
3: Ron said. Right. Yes. I'm gonna wear that to the Wizarding World the next time I go. We
0: do need a. I'm gonna wear that. I'm that daughter you bitch T-shirt. Uh, we need a running <laughs> list too of like all the times that, that that Ron was erased. Thank you from um oh. from the movies because we're definitely building a case over this chapter by chapter series. It looks like. And I,
3: I'm I'm imagining the sound effect being like an eraser sound, like squeaky squeaky, squeaky <laughs> and then Ron going no or something. Between the trio, Ron is the like person who grew up in the wizarding world he's the most equipped to explain this and it's real important cuz Harry and Hermione didn't grow up in a world where this prejudice exists so Ron's the perfect conduit to explain it but i guess not so in the movies
1: right and and it's important that it is introduced now this term because it does really kind of lay the groundwork for the chamber of secrets being opened which happens at the end of the next chapter and the purging of the school plot that we'll see now over the course of these next couple of chapters. But digging a little bit to the word mudblood, it means dirty blood, and it is the primary racial slur of the wizarding world as far as we know. I'm sure there are others, but this is the one that we get. So I was wondering, shouldn't there be greater punishment for Draco using the word? Because he uses it in front of both Quidditch teams, which kind of sets that melee off and then gets Ron belching slugs. And then at the uh, end of the next chapter, he uses it presumably in front of hundreds of students who are crowding into this corridor to see Mrs. Norris, who has been petrified. Is there no consequence for saying this? Yeah, that's a great question.
2: I was going to ask in response to this, do any of us remember being kids And hearing another child get away with saying a slur like this and really not receiving any kind of punishment or consequences for their actions, because I I think it's it's easy maybe to assume that in these moments, Draco is going to be overheard by an authority figure But oftentimes in these types of situations that are so chaotic, there can be a lot going on so that the adults in the room may not necessarily have heard what was said. And as a result, you know, the entire school, all of your classmates heard the terrible word that your classmates said, but maybe the teachers didn't, or maybe there were other things going on that drew their attention away from it. I certainly remember this happening once or twice when I was a kid, where somebody would say something, and I would be like shocked that the word even came out of their mouth, or that nobody else had seemingly heard it, Um, but then nothing really came of it.
0: To answer your earlier question i don't think i personally heard anything as bad as like a racial slur i still remember the first or second time like you heard somebody in class say a curse word like in elementary school and it was mm-hmm. the idea of of the word damn was like so bad but yeah i i think in the case of like consequences for these words to your point maybe the the teacher or somebody else didn't hear it and also i think it's difficult to prove like hey, Mrs. Wilson, I heard Draco say, mudblood. I took my fourth grade teacher who introduced me to Harry Potter and just inserted her into the wizard room. (laughs) It didn't make sense once I finished this. Hi, Mrs. Wilson.
3: Thank you for introducing (laughs) Andrew to Harry Potter.
0: It's just hard to prove that somebody actually said this unless they were actually there. And maybe the student who's reporting them has an ax to grind, maybe they're making it up. So I guess the the parent or the teacher could say, Hey, I heard you said this. It's really bad. Here's why please don't say it again. But yeah, I think just one of the key issues is is it's hard to prove if they weren't actually there.
1: That's fair.
3: The kind of teacher McGonagall is, too. If somebody reported it to her, she'd be like, he said what? And then they'd say it. And then she'd give them points off, too, mm. for saying. He's <laughs> <So, laughs> not exactly the best uh, teachers to confide in. I do think, you know, going back to Draco's talent, um, as we we're talking about his talent on the Quidditch pitch, I think also he might have a sixth sense for when to say these sorts of things and get away with it when a teacher might overhear. And he's very brash about it. In fact, it's his whole behavior like in this early part of the book that leads them to suspect Draco. And it's very essential to the, the plot and developing events, but he's just being reckless with it. And, and you know, it it also doesn't help that you have Snape who you could, he could say all those things in front of Snape and Snape would not do anything.
1: Well, he is half blood. So maybe he would, uh, (laughs) <laughs> kind of mutter under his breath a little bit at Draco if uh, he heard him say it, but uh, I also tried to think a little bit. Maybe Draco doesn't have the full understanding of, of what it means, I but I think he yeah. really does. Uh, so you know, sometimes you try to absolve people of. You know, responsibility or guilt if, if, you know, they're saying it just because maybe they heard their parents say it and they don't really know what the full context is of, of, of what they're saying to somebody else. But I think Draco really does, especially because he does it over and over again. Uh, We see it happen. You know, not just in this chapter, but in the next chapter.
3: Yeah, Lucius would have uh, explained to him from an early age. You know, we're one of the pure ones. We're one of the right ones, and you should be very proud of that. And it's the way he calls Hermione too, like filthy little, you know, mudblood. And it's just like I'm so much better. Yeah, he means it, and he knows what it means.
2: I think it's interesting to think about a couple chapters ago, where Lucius is kind of chiding Draco when they're in public. For speaking in this way, obviously not quite as directly as he does in this chapter, Um, but letting people know like, hey, it's not very becoming of you to share these kinds of views out in the world. And I just wonder what Lucius would think if he were here and he saw Draco um, or he saw the way that Draco will react at the end of the next chapter in particular, if he would tell him to shut up and sit down.
1: He would take the brooms away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's it is very interesting but then you have to ask yourself the question where did he learn that word to begin with
2: mm, yeah
3: we know yeah we
2: know where he learned
3: it <laughs> they have they have it engraved on plates or something mm-hmm. <laughs> um
1: i shouldn't laugh but it's, you're it's probably right it's over the archway in malfoy manor yeah
3: oh yeah yeah, yeah. some kind of latin phrase that means
1: malfoy manor no mudbloods yeah well and, and we'll certainly talk more about blood status Uh, as these chapters go on, because it does play such a pivotal role. But the trio seek safe haven, as they often do at Hagrid's hut. And uh, a lot more information is revealed that is important for the future of uh, this story. And uh, Eric, you had a good point here about Hagrid.
3: Yeah, I mean, Hagrid is, Harry is taken aback by how casually Hagrid would say something negative about another teacher, but Hagrid is uh very critical of Lockhart's skill and suggests even to, you know, to the trio that he's a fraud. And this is big. Um Harry knows it's big. And we did see Lockhart kind of being shooed out of Hagrid's hut. And Lockhart seems to have that effect universally on all the other teachers of Hogwarts. Um, but it's a kind of a crazy thing that you know, Hagrid is speaking ill of a teacher, but this is the second time in as many chapters that somebody's really questioning Lockhart's authenticity in the face of having seen firsthand the way that he approaches a situation. That's not nothing.
1: Can I also say, though, those two that have questioned him are two characters that are oftentimes not taken very seriously, Ron and Hagrid. hmm and so I wonder if that's part of the reason why people don't catch on to him a little bit more quickly. Uh, and I was interested in this, and and we don't have to go into too much detail, but I wanted to know what we make of the fact that it is the male characters who seem to be onto Lockhart, but most of the women seem to be hoodwinked by him, whether it's his looks, his charm. <laughs> There's a whole nother episode to be had talking about um how the author has written female characters and we could go into that in much more detail but i'm curious what we all think about this
2: there is definitely um a lot of dismissiveness in these books around female characters who are even remotely quote girlish or overly feminine Um, So I think that is definitely part of what's going on here, Micah. I think also we do see at least one example so far in the book of a female character who is not at all impressed or fooled by Lockhart. And that's Professor Sprout. Just a couple chapters ago, we saw her, um, you know, dealing with him trying to mansplain to her how to care for the Whomping Willow, which she clearly already knows how to do. Um, So I think between Sprout and McGonagall, there are at least a couple of female characters at Hogwarts who have not been hoodwinked by Lockhart at this point. But I think there is something subtextual going on here in terms of a commentary about what it means to have a, quote, girlish crush on somebody and whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. Um, And, you know, obviously a lot of the author's, I think, personal opinions shine through in the writings of these books on that front. Mm. Well, let's also
3: suggest that it doesn't necessarily stop at gender lines, recognizing that Lockhart is apparently this beautiful specimen, because I think that both Hagrid and Ron are like, oh, this guy is conventionally good looking. But for them, it turns into not a crush, but the jealousy angle of,
2: Yeah,
3: you know, all these women are flocking to this guy. I have to find something that's wrong with him or I have to tell myself that I'm better. And that's why they're going, well, this guy's clearly making shit up, right? Because they're trying to find that competitive edge that would counteract their obvious... Uh, approval or or acknowledgement that he is actually very pretty. Yeah, yes. good point.
1: There is a lot to uh, dig into there, and uh, but in terms of more adult characters, we do see Molly react in in much the same way that Hermione and and some of the other female students do. Mm-hmm. But uh, and we could also talk here about Hermione's perception of things, and we know she's extremely smart when it comes to books, but. Not as quick on the uptake sometimes as it relates to things that are considered more street smarts uh, where where Ron definitely, um, you know, shines through a little bit more. right. But moving on, uh, we get a lot of information uh, in in sort of the the end of this chapter. Uh, Starting with uh, some talk about Hagrid being expelled from Hogwarts. And we know this is huge uh, to the Chamber of Secrets plot a little bit later on.
0: Yeah, and I felt there was a bit of foreshadowing actually going on here with the way this was written. So I'm going to say foreshadow alert. So when they are reviewing, I think it's Harry, he's reviewing the pumpkins in Hagrid's backyard and wondering how they grew, the passage goes, Hagrid wasn't supposed to use magic. He had been expelled from Hogwarts in his third year, but Harry had never found out why, End quote. And then in the next two paragraphs, Hagrid says Ginny also complimented his pumpkins. So I thought the way that was laid out was interesting because, of course, Hagrid was expelled for allegedly opening the chamber. Then it's Ginny who opens the chamber in this book. Bit of foreshadowing? Purposeful? Definitely. Yeah,
2: I think so. And it's... I think we're meant to be misdirected, right? Because Hagrid is hinting to Harry in this moment. Hey, I think she was actually here looking for you. Mm -hmm. So as readers, (laughs) I think on its face, we're like, oh, Ginny has a crush on Harry. And that's really all we take it for. There are lots of great little moments of setup like this throughout this book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah,
3: And th- this chapter and the next one are loaded with Ginny. Yes. Like you just would never, th- she's always in the background feeling sick, looking a little pale, you know, things
1: like that. These it's are crazy. huge chapters for Eric. Ginny fan number one. <laughs> I know. I'm thrilled. Hagrid's got jokes too, clearly, uh, which I didn't, I didn't know he had. He's, I know. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, let's talk a little bit about Ginny mysteriously hanging around Hagrid's hut because I believe she's there Uh, to, uh, is it the roosters? What I'm trying to remember exactly. She's, she's, she's there for a reason. It's not for Harry.
3: Yeah. The, I think that what I've pieced together is that the cry of the rooster is, or the crow of the rooster is fatal to a basilisk. And so she's not killing them now, but she is kind of getting the bearings of, are there any roosters on the grounds of Hogwarts? Because, you know, in her possessed state. Uh, the heir of Slytherin acting through her wants to remove all threats to making
1: sure that his reign of terror goes smoothly. Yeah. So if the day couldn't get any worse uh, for Harry and Ron, they make their way back up to the castle and they find out that they're going to be serving detention this evening. Harry draws the Lockhart card. Ron draws the Filch card. And uh, it's noted that ron was cleaning a trophy for special services to the school which he ended up throwing up slugs all over which is why i think he was late getting back to gryffindor tower and we actually later learned that this was given to tom riddle for catching hagrid for opening the chamber of secrets and yes andrew i do believe tom's name is on it
0: see i find that inappropriate (laughs)
1: <laughs> because, that they didn't remove it?
0: Yeah, it seems like that's, you know, that's a bit of an oversight. Maybe, yeah, that, that castle's pretty big. Maybe they forgot to remove a thing or two with Tom's name on it. But I just don't think his name should be featured anywhere in the school.
1: That's a great point. <laughs> that would make
3: a good Horcrux, actually, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. A literal trophy.
0: <laughs> I wonder
2: how, how commonplace is it at this point that people would know about the connection between Tom Riddle and Voldemort.
0: I mean, amongst the kids, probably not common, but I'm just thinking, you know, that seems like a thing Dumbledore could have maybe uh, removed himself because he was uncomfortable with such a thing being in the school. Doesn't it say
3: T.T.M. Riddle? That could be anybody.
1: (laughs) Todd. Yeah, but it's also weird that his expulsion was never overturned in any way either, because it clearly wasn't Hagrid. I mean, he's, he's working on the school grounds after having been expelled however right. many years earlier. You'd think that they would have reopened that investigation, but clearly not. There's also some other foreshadowing and setup going on for future plot points, right, Eric?
3: Yeah, if you're looking into kind of what is introduced in this chapter that comes into play later, uh, you've already mentioned Lucius Malfoy and the whole Buckbeak uh, fiasco. So Lucius getting more and more involved in... The school, buying his son and his son's Quidditch team uh, new brooms. And then also next year when Draco again puts his mouth uh, in, and isn't listening and is misbehaving, Lucius again, daddy comes to the rescue. Um, so that's just an ongoing kind of, you know, reliable character moment uh, that we can expect based on what happens in book two um, for book three. And then Another thing that Hagrid says, uh, besides (laughs) you mentioned he has jokes, I wanted to bring up the uh, doesn't Hagrid ask Harry for a signed photo or says that Ginny
0: would probably want a signed photo? He said I heard you're signing photos.
3: Oh, God. Can I can I get one? Um, Hagrid also says that uh, when he's when he's talking about Lockhart being a fraud, I think Hermione pipes up to Lockhart's defense and says, oh, well, you know, he, Dumbledore wouldn't hire a fraud in the teacher. And Hagrid says, actually, he's probably the only man for the job because people are starting to suspect that the defense against the Dark Arts position is cursed. And Hagrid says in this chapter, no one's lasted very long for a while, or actually, he says, no one's lasted very long since dot, 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 and then gets cut off. Uh, So it's a brilliant kind of real foreshadowing. And and actually just like the answer is hidden in plain text um, right now that Hogwarts has a problem. Hogwarts DADA has a problem, and this is part of a cycle that leads next year into Remus Lupin, um, you know, being hired, Mad Eye Moody being dragged out of retirement a year later, and eventually a government official, uh, you know, getting the job in Umbridge. So it's crazy that it is like so well hinted at um, early on that this is the case with that particular position at Hogwarts. And if we're connecting the threads here, it's book six where we find out explicitly that the position is in fact cursed. We also find out why between Dumbledore's meeting with a uh, 20-something Voldemort at Hogwarts. That's a connection between books two and six, uh, which are connected via ring theory.
1: Mm-hmm. Great connecting the threads there. For Harry, just to wrap up the chapter, uh, he serves detention with Lockhart, but then begins to hear some chatter that only he can hear. And we know that he's hearing the basilisk speaking. And uh this of course sets up a series of moments like this that he's going to have uh throughout the next couple of chapters. Yeah. Few odds and ends. I wanted to bring up Colin Creevy because he he's a big part of the opening of this chapter. He's really super annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I forgot how attached to Harry he is. I I mean Maybe we all knew somebody like this growing up, or maybe we were that person to somebody else at one point, but Harry really cannot shake Colin at all. Like he follows him out of the Gryffindor tower all the way down to the Quidditch pitch. He, you know, stays in the stands, watches him for however long he practices. Then he's in the melee that's going on between Gryffindor and Slytherin. So it's cute, but not really. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's cute. I don't know what to do about him, though, because Harry wants to be polite, so he has to kind of entertain him. It's not in Harry's character to be like, hey, bug off. Collins." a year younger than him, so you got to keep that in mind, too. You don't want to be too mean or upset him. right? I, so I don't know what to do. I guess if I were Harry, I maybe would talk to McGonagall about it and be like, yo, I, I, Colin's really bothering me. Can, can we maybe yeah. ask
1: him to fall back a little bit? I think he finds that extremely frustrating, not because he doesn't like Colin, but because Colin kind of represents providing him with a celebrity status that he clearly doesn't want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Colin's interest in Harry
3: had been for anything that he consciously did, um, I think that it would be a little different. you know. But Harry can't feel good about the fact that his parents are dead and that he defeated you-know-who because that's just all in a day's work. Yeah, It's nothing he did.
1: There was also a really odd reference to at least I saw it as being odd. No female players on the Slytherin Quidditch team. And maybe it was just the way that it was written, uh, because it said there were no girls on the Slytherin team who stood shoulder to shoulder facing the Gryffindors, leering to a man. Uh, I don't know, Laura, like, can you make sense of this? Cause I it just seemed very odd to include
2: Yeah, so I think I mean I think including This note, it really demonstrates how bigotry and sexism are two sides of the same coin. It really feeds very well into all of the themes of this book. But the way this is written, this this phrase leering to a man, I've never heard that before. So I don't know if this is this a Britishism? Is this me having a dumb American moment and and not quite understanding the, the phrase? Um, but I think at the end of the day, it was really meant to highlight again, just how different these groups of students are. And to really polarize them and show who's going to be on which side of the story. Yeah,
3: because the girls on the Gryffindor Quidditch team are equally appalled at Draco's mm-hmm. um, slur. But you hear like Alicia Spinett or Angelina Johnson going like, oh, rude or oh, my God. Whereas the guys are like, well, I'm going to fight you. But all the Slytherin team being boys is like, OK, this is a conflict now. This is a physical fight. There's no talk anymore from mm. them.
1: And, uh, one final odd and end talking about Hogwarts being a security nightmare, <laughs> Andrew, you love to do it. So, and the, and the, the wands
0: being a security nightmare too. No. So when, when Ron tried to cast the spell at Draco, it said green light shot, shot out of the wrong end of Ron's wand, And I thought it was interesting that wands can actually fire directly at their caster when pointed in the correct direction, even when broken. It just seems like there would be a fail-safe in place to prevent that type of thing from happening. You you should never be able to, whether the wand's in good condition or not, accidentally fire at yourself. But then I was thinking, maybe there's actually some good use cases for this, like a double-ended wand that can shoot spells purposefully from both directions, thinking about like, imagine casting a spell at an enemy and then simultaneously out of the the back end of the wand, if you will, comes a protection charm to protect you. That could be very effective. So I'm very torn now on this whole situation with a, a, a wand being able to backfire. I think at the end of the day, it's probably best if it can't do that to protect the the wand caster but if it must be able to backfire there could be some cool protection charms there
1: mm. well and and it's important that we see it backfiring now because it backfires later uh in in the book and comes to the rescue of of harry and ron
3: mm-hmm. yeah so it's kind of a good thing that the hogwarts staff let this student have a dangerous broken wand his entire <laughs> year because eventually it's all it saves the day. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, like they should have absolutely replaced Ron's wand. I don't buy that this is like a dual punishment where, okay, you get detention, Mr. Weasley, for flying the car into the tree. Um, but then there's the slow punishment of we're not going to do anything to get you a new wand at all for an entire year of schoolwork mm-hmm. um, where you're going to be using your wand literally every day to do things. And we're just never going to replace that. Like... Yeah, that's total negligence. Right.
1: Even when you go home for Christmas, they could have done something. They don't do anything.
3: Yeah. Every student needs a wand that works. Yeah. You know,
0: Weasley's is
3: known to be broken.
0: Ron's is- Yeah, we've spoken about before, like, Hogwarts should have a a variety of wands on standby should a student need one. Mm -hmm. Or
3: Owl Ollivander and be like, hey, I need another one. Like, you know? Yeah. He'll come.
0: He comes to Hogwarts. We know he comes to Hogwarts. He's capable of making the journey. Right. And court said maybe that failsafe was part of what broke on his wand. But, you know, in planes, in other mission critical systems, we add all types of backup systems to prevent catastrophe. And something like a, a wand being able to shoot backwards should never, ever be able to happen. There should be multiple layers of protection, a failsafe against the failsafe against the failsafe to prevent that type of thing from ever happening. This is a subject I'm I'm finding myself very passionate about. Clearly. So I'll be working on this for my campaign platform in, in 2024, I think.
1: <laughs> safe wand sims.
0: Safe wand sims. <laughs> Safety first, that's safe wand sims now it's time for chapter eight the death day party yeah and i am kicking off the seven word summary here we go nick helps harry
2: out
1: with peeves apostrophe Peeves.
3: assistance
0: <laughs> Nick helps Harry out with Peeves' assistance. Okay. Thank
3: you, Micah, for that well-placed apostrophe.
1: <laughs> so wanted to start off this chapter actually titled the discussion Filch the Workaholic Squib. and this was inspired <laughs> by a question that you had, Andrew, but just to set yeah. things up a little bit, Harry has come in from Quidditch practice. He's tracking mud through the castle, and he's actually having a pretty good conversation with near- nearly headless Nick And Mrs. Norris pops up and right after her is Filch, who is just, he's in a state today. He's obviously not having a good day at work. And uh, he hauls Harry down uh, to his office. But it's actually noted by Nearly Headless Nick that Filch has the flu. And uh, Andrew, you had a good question. Um, What does it say about Filch that he's working while he's sick you man take a break
0: (laughs) yeah is this a staffing issue there's nobody else that can do what filch does so he has to continue working and that's kind of sad if i mean that is the case really so that's that's a bummer that filch can never get a break also what does it say about dumbledore's leadership that he's making filch continue to maybe not making but he's is probably aware when filch is not well, or other teachers see it and could say something to filch like, "Hey, take a break, buddy. you need to rest there's there's multiple issues here. filch doesn't seem to care if he's getting other people sick as well,
1: <laughs> which is a problem too, and so much of what filch does is is manual labor you know, yeah he does, we re- we really start to learn more about him in this chapter because of um, Harry finding the the quick spell guide, but it it says a lot about Filch, and and probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's trying to prove himself to some extent, and so he's a good point. continuing to work harder and harder no matter what. But yeah, he's he's not doing too great. He's got the scarf around his neck. His says like his nose is all like he looks like Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. He's he's not doing too well, and you actually feel for him a little bit in this chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. I I like your point about maybe trying to prove himself.
2: Yeah. I mean, Filch is, he's a classic example of someone who has been looked down upon by society. He has no power. He has no value to the society that he's living in. So he is trying to have power where he can have it. And he's just not someone who has a ton of influence, which means that he's going to way overcorrect and overdo it in ways that really don't actually do anything apart from make him a nuisance. It's very sad.
1: And I think it's important that Harry has a moment when uh, he's talking with Filch and they're talking about how he tracked the mud into the castle and Filch goes into this explanation about how long it's going to take him to clean it up. And I don't think that Harry realizes until after the fact it is going to take him a lot long because he longer, because he can't just wave a wand. Like it's actual yeah. manual labor. He's going to have to go and use a mop or I don't, whatever he uses to, to clean things up. And that's just doing it after one kid. Imagine an entire Quidditch team tracking mud, right. you know, through the halls. And, and so, yeah.
2: And to Harry, that may not seem like a huge deal because he notes that he's had to do manual labor
1: right. his entire
2: <laughs> life living with the Dursleys. But from Filch's vantage point, he grew up in a society where he's watching everyone around him be able to use magic and he can't. So it's a constant reminder for him of what he can't do.
1: Right. And, and much like the previous chapter where we learn about mudbloods were now introduced, as you said, Andrew, to squibs, which is another group in the wizarding community that is discriminated against and marginalized to some extent. Yeah, And I see somebody else said not to mention ghosts uh, and their society and hierarchy as well.
3: These chapters are so full of introducing these other forms or these just these other subsets of people um you know you have the squib in filch you have mudbloods people who are muggle-born which is they become targets this whole book and then you have ghosts like it's amazing what she's fit in to uh these two chapters alone and you know this this um main staging of Filch where he just happens to come across Harry tracking mud into the castle. And then there's this amazing interaction with him. There's this amazing thing with Peeves where he runs off. Like all of this is being set up because Filch is also the first victim of the petrification. He loses Mrs. Norris in at the at the end of this chapter, actually. But, but really the beginning of the next chapter, we see him sobbing quietly while Dumbledore, you know, inspects Mrs. Norris's body and it's terrible, but mm-hmm. it's so interesting that, and it doesn't feel ham-fisted that all of a sudden there's Filch. Filch has always been there, but kind of bringing him to the center of things. We learn this little tidbit about him right before the incident with Mrs. Norris is really clever and, and has him sort of front of mind.
1: Mm-hmm. He's very embarrassed by it too. At, at least yeah. thinking that Harry knows even what this is all about, but I don't think Harry Fully understands at this point that Filch is a squib. I, he just he kind of has the evidence, but he doesn't have the understanding of what it all means. Right. But it is Peeves, of course, who, thanks to Nick, uh, rescues Harry, gets him out of detention, or, or or gets him out of Filch's office, and he does it by dropping a vanishing cabinet above Filch's office. And now we have cabinet. met both vanishing cabinets uh in this book and we know they are big players in half blood prince
0: yeah amazing cool and i think filch even mentions that it's a valuable cabinet too right Mm. so maybe we're trying to be told in a subtle way you know pay attention to this cabinet reader but it's extremely subtle i just think it's interesting that he did mention that that thing is valuable yeah because you think about
3: oh if it's valuable why isn't it in a shop Well, it's twin is in a shop. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And we met it a couple chapters ago.
3: Yeah. Real quick on Filch, I just find it so funny that he has these uh, forms to fill out that are about as extra as he is. So, like, (laughs) name Harry Potter crime. It's like, (laughs) is that a real prompt? Is that a real prompt crime sentence? Is the next one? It's like, oh my, where'd you get these forms, Azkaban? And he's Jesus. got the
1: shackles behind his yeah, desk, like, hey, the hanging from the staircase. Where do you get
3: these things? Yeah.
1: Oh my god. So this chapter really continues the trend of Harry spending meaningful time with characters that inevitably will be petrified. It started a few chapters ago with uh, Justin Finch-Fletchley in Herbology, followed by Colin. Uh, we know he meets Colin in that chapter, but looking at the last chapter when Colin wouldn 't leave him alone now to nearly headless Nick, they have a whole conversation pre filch and then he goes to the death day party and then Mrs. Norris right kind of shows up uh to to alert filch to Harry dragging mud into the castle, so I just thought it was. Uh, kind of a cool setup that we're spending so much time with these characters and all of these characters uh, end up petrified in in some form.
3: That's a good point.
1: Also wanted to bring up uh, that Harry, Ron, and Hermione show their willingness to embrace the larger magical community. So this is going off the point that uh, Eric, you had mentioned um, earlier with the ghosts, but they don't seem to let anything really deter them. Uh, from engaging with others that are not the same as them. And I think this is another example of that, the fact that they're willing to go to Nearly Headless Nick's death day party and spend time amongst other creatures within the wizarding world that aren't students, right? They they forego an entire feast in the Great Hall to to make good on a promise that Harry made.
3: They're... They think they can still make the feast (laughs) at the end of it, which which normally, under normal circumstances, they at least would have been able to do. They aren't thinking through the fact that there won't really be food at this party um, because dead people don't eat. But yeah, I mean, Hermione's first reaction when Harry tells her is, I think that would be fascinating. And how many living people do you think can say they've been to one of those? Like, that's exactly the right attitude. These are Harry's people. Because that's Harry's perspective. It's like, well, sure. I mean, it is an obligation that they're fulfilling for him. But I think they're all separately, genuinely interested in, you know, stopping
0: by. Yeah, it seems like a really exciting opportunity. I definitely would want to go. I mean, how many times are you invited to such a thing? Never. Even if you're
1: a wizard. 500th death day party. Yeah. So Nick was killed in 1492. Interesting. Wonder if he knew Columbus. <laughs> mm. Wonder if Columbus was the one who at him. The
3: other thing about sort of Nick and Harry's rapport in this chapter is real, like heartwarming. The idea that Nick, you know, really wants Harry there, not just because he's a quote live un, um, but because he's Harry Potter and a Gryffindor student, and they have this. Back and forth, and he asks Harry to say on his behalf how terrifying he finds uh nearly headless Nick and it's and it's it's just so sad that when Harry does do that, he fulfills his obligation, it falls completely flat, and Sir Podmore is just like, "My Betty said told you to say that, didn't he? Mm-hmm.
0: It's sad.
2: I had kind of forgotten that we do get a couple of instances throughout the books of Harry and Nick really getting to spend some time together and seeing that Nick is actually a quality guy, right? Like we get this. We also see at the end of Order of the Phoenix when Harry seeks him out to talk about Sirius's death. Nick is such a great character, And I think this is a question we have in the doc here. It kind of makes me sad that we didn't get the death day party in the movie. One, because I think it would have added a lot of, you know, really great color and context to the story. Also would have been great to see John Cleese in this because John Cleese is funny as hell. And it would have been really fun to see those interactions play out on screen as well. Um, But another important call out that we have to give to the death day party is this is where we meet Moaning Myrtle, too. Mm. Um, Wow. So a a lot of important stuff going on here. The party in the moment when you're reading it seems like fluff, but it actually has a lot of really important setup for the rest of the story.
1: Yeah, there's quite the guest list for Nick's death day party outside of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. The Fat Friars there, the Bloody Baron, the Wailing Widow who came all the way from Kent, I believe. Kent. uh, Who's a celebrity. She's she's big time. Uh, The Headless (laughs) Hunt show up. And then as you mentioned, Laura, Moaning Myrtle, we get our first introduction to her, probably thinking nothing of her. Uh, Peeves is there as well. uh, And, uh, you know- Creates a little bit of uh, tension between Hermione and Myrtle, but they patch things up. It seems a little bit later on in the book.
3: I find this whole thing about ghost societies very interesting. The fact that there's essentially bullying, uh, like a bullying ghost in Sir Podmore, that there like Nick is trying to make a speech, and the, this rowdy group that's just kind of crashed the party just all of a sudden does headless hockey um is really 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 fascinating and explores to my mind the capacity of ghosts to take into account current events and also still maintain like you know the, it's more than they're just shadows or copies of who they used to be in life they currently can get their feelings hurt and they currently can make plans in the real present day so they're they're not exactly limited to the lives they once led there's there's more going on there and so Mm -hmm. this only intro that we get into this uh you know in this whole this only insight that we get into the ghosts in this series is really interesting for that
1: and they can kind of sort of taste food too which is interesting
0: (laughs) man that was grim (laughs) under the right conditions
1: (laughs) but that's that's just another example too of harry being willing to go up to anybody really within the wizarding world and, and strike up a conversation. Yeah. And and Laura, you are mentioning those moments with Nick, but I don't see Draco walking up to the Bloody Baron and having the conversations like Harry does with, with nearly headless Nick. Right. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you have a hot take here. You think <laughs> it was right for Nick to be rejected from the headless hunt?
0: I do. He isn't headless. And I also think that the leader of that organization, Sir Patrick, is probably a little jelly that Nick still had his head on after 45 blows. I mean, that is pretty impressive. Maybe Patrick wish, Sir Patrick wishes that uh, he, too, uh, could have survived 45 blows to the head. But look, he's not headless, and thus he cannot join the headless hunt. Sorry, bro.
1: No exceptions.
0: Why? Where does that lead? Where does that lead? Then you start allowing other ghosts with heads into the headless hunt. And before you know it, it's not much of a headless hunt anymore, is it? It's a slippery slope, exactly. is it? Exactly. I
2: think Nick should have started a society for the nearly headless hunt. <laughs> <laughs> because surely yeah. he's not the only one.
1: Yeah. There you go. But yeah,
2: I mean, Silver I think, lining. you know, Sir Patrick is also a one-trick pony. Like, you <laughs> see this man, he continually throws his head around, drops his head, and that's kind of that's his shtick. That's yeah. all he's got. Yeah, it's pretty sad, actually.
0: Wasn't
3: somebody else playing like a ghost bugle or something with their head on their in their in their the crook of their arm? Right. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of their whole their whole deal is they were beheaded and they became ghosts and they can still talk through it. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, like it's funny to see Nick upset over this. Yeah, but yeah, I also think uh, I'm I'm siding with Sir Patrick here.
1: Well, the trio decide it's time to leave the party. They've had enough fun, and uh, they're trying to get up to the Great Hall just to get a little bit of food, a little bit of that Halloween feast in. But uh, Harry gets distracted along the way, and uh, he starts to hear that voice again that he had heard when he was in detention with Lockhart. And I was wondering, what do we think it says about Harry that he runs toward the issue rather than away from it? Or better yet, that he doesn't even go and get a teacher to try and help investigate what's going on.
0: Well, he's a true Gryffindor. I think it, it says that. Uh, but I think it also says that he hasn't learned much about staying out of trouble uh, through the course of his <laughs> Hogwarts career thus far, because, as I think is noted by the end of this chapter, like they shouldn't be seen right there at the scene of the crime. That's going to bring mm. up some issues and concerns and, and rumors. Uh, but by the time they uh, come to realize that it's a little too late because everybody sees that they're right there. So, um,
1: yeah, I don't
0: know. But I-, I think the answer that you're looking for is that uh, Harry is a is is a curious, courageous person who's wanting to get in on the action and help save the day whenever he can. And also figure out what the heck's going on with the voices in his head. He's a hero. It's just like
3: I just get these um, like. Shadows of why would I go looking for black? It's like you literally run towards everything that you see that's dangerous <laughs> right. and, and uncertain. It's like, uh yeah, Harry, you kind of have a run- running towards danger thing.
2: Yeah. Doesn't yeah. Hermione say that later on in the book? She's like, you kind of do have a saving people thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I think so. so it is. It is part of his character, but I also have this headcanon I wanted to put out there for y'all. I wonder if there's any part of Harry's subconscious that recognizes Parseltongue from the last time he heard it in book one. Mm. And it just like activates something in his brain that gives him tunnel vision. And he's like, I know this. I don't know why I know it, but I'm going to follow it because I recognize it.
1: Mm. That's a cool theory. Could be the horcrux.
2: Yeah, could be the horcrux, right?
3: Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't consciously know that he's being spoken to in partial tongue, obviously, but he knows that a part of him is activating and is suddenly attuned to. Um, also, the this the slithering, uh, if we imagine, can't really be that loud, um, because even if it were like a hiss, if it were really out loud and out of place, the others would hear it even though it's kind of so like harry is really fixating on what must be the tiniest of sounds um and tuning directly into it so i think that that also shows him again it's it's not conscious but it very much tells him that something is off and if it's the horcrux connection with voldemort like all the more reason to be concerned about it but also want to thwart it or want to go off and kind of fix
1: this yeah and, and he does try and guess what it is that he's hearing right like he's looking in all different directions I, I, he he named some other creature at one point i don't know if it was a banshee or or something where he's he just can't put his finger on what it is because he can't actually see what it is that that's doing all of this but uh, and the words he hears has to be a extremely unsettling rip tear kill and then it has to be frustrating on top of that because you don't know What's going on? So Well, I I love that we just spent a whole chapter
3: with ghosts because my first thought would be, you know, there's this disembodied voice going through the castle. Is this a ghost? (laughs) But no, the ghosts are actually all socializing down in the dungeon. So I think this is actually really extremely clever to kind of help us rule out what this creature is, to actually have pretty much every ghost in the castle be seen at the party because it could go one of two ways. It's either going to be a murder mystery of like, well, who left the party when? And, you know, this is clearly a ghost or show us that it's something even more unique or even more different that heightens the mystery.
1: Yeah, for sure. Do we do we think that, you know, just connecting some threads and then maybe nothing here, but we have the death day party in this book. In Half-Blood Prince, we have a lot of slug club parties mm. so i wonder if the oh,
2: uh, interesting
0: yeah
1: maybe there's we'd something have to there. look at uh, look at those parties and see what kind of happens afterwards but i can't remember off the top of my head yeah so the the chapter ends with the chamber of secrets officially now being open and mrs norris petrified and harry ron and hermione at the scene of the crime dun, dun, dun. and draco saying mudblood again In front of hundreds of students. Things are getting dark. Didn't have too many odds and ends from this chapter. Uh, Eric, you mentioned this briefly earlier. Ginny is noted at the start of the chapter to be looking a little bit peaky. Clearly, uh, she's going through a rough time. It's assumed that she's maybe a little bit under the weather like Filch. Maybe Filch gave her the flu, Andrew. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) Flu's going around Hogwarts. Yeah, we know that uh, she's feeling peaky for other reasons. The one thing I wanted to point out as far as odds and ends
3: is the rest of the ghosts giving the Bloody Baron a wide berth at the party. Harry notes that the Baron is there, but no one's getting really close to him. I thought that that works on two levels. One, yes, he's a terrifying ghost that everyone prefers to avoid. But I also wonder if his fellow ghosts know what happened to him in life. If they know what the significance is of the bloody Baron's you know crimes, if they know the whole deal, actually the great lady is not spotted there, so she's not in the same room as him. like, you know, that's actually really interesting to think about for me, um, hmm. yeah, is whether, whether the ghosts know more. Seeing as how they all socialize.
0: You would think they know more.: You've had a lot of time to talk, a lot of time. Yeah. perhaps a lot of time. That is chapter seven and eight of Chamber of Secrets. And next week we will go through chapters nine and 10. And now it's time for MVP of the week. And I'm going to give it to Ron for quickly realizing how horrible Draco's remark was to Hermione and throwing a curse at him. That was a worthy clap back. That's a real friend right there to jump into action really quick. Sometimes you're you're taking a moment like, oh, should I fight back? Should I say something? And then you regret it later when you don't. Ron jumps straight into action. Good job, Ron. My MVP
3: is another Weasley. Going to give it to Percy for trying to help Ginny. Like, yes, he is prescribing the wrong ailment. But he's taking notice that his younger sister is not looking well. And he forces her to take a pepper up potion, which has a very comical effect but good for him he's trying to be the the caring big brother and the other four aren't
2: i'm gonna give mine to nearly headless nick happy death day my friend (laughs) um but also gotta give it to him for coming in clutch getting harry out of trouble with filch
3: that was some fast acting nice Yeah.
1: yeah i will uh join my fellow ravenclaw and uh give my mvp to the accomplice which was peeves who did the dirty work for Nick, but there are very few people who can actually control peeves or get him to do anything. But uh, yeah, peeves uh, coming through in the clutch, saving Harry, but also giving us that other connection to half blood Prince with the vanishing cabinet.
0: Okay. If you have any feedback about today's episode or you want to send in feedback about next week's chapters, as always, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com. Or you can use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, which is 19203-Muggle. That's 1920-368-4453. And we are doing a bonus MuggleCast this week, like I mentioned earlier. We'll be doing two bonus MuggleCasts per month at patreon.com slash MuggleCast you get not only bonus MuggleCast but you get access to our recording studio our exclusive uh, discord and facebook groups our planning docs early access to MuggleCast ad-free MuggleCast physical gifts every year lots there so check it all out at patreon.com MuggleCast and now it's time for everybody's favorite game show Quizage. Last
3: week's Quizitch question, what does Oliver Wood say the 2001 Nimbus brooms do in comparison to the Clean Sweep series? Shout out to people for pointing out that I was incorrect in my premise. It is, huh? in fact, Marcus Flint who makes this comment. Oh, no. Heads up. Yeah, I know. I screwed up. <laughs> Bonus points for Elizabeth. Hello Wolf, Bored Voldemort, and Legalize Gillyweed, also Buff Daddy. The correct answer that I was looking for was sweeps the board with them. Correct answers were also submitted by Coco Flow, Happy New Year MuggleCast, oh, Luna year. Lovegood, Cameron Shaw, Aberforth's Goats, and Rock Cake Baker. And here is next week's not flawed quizage question. <laughs> What curse does Lockhart say was probably performed on Mrs. Norris? Submit your answer to us via the form on MuggleCast.com slash or click on Quizzitch from the main
0: nav. By the way, our must-listens page on MuggleCast.com was recently updated with some can't-miss episodes, so do check that out. We're still updating it, but uh, shout-out to Micah for curating the list there and highlighting some episodes. If you're a new listener or you're telling a friend about the show, tell them to start with the Must Listens page on MuggleCast.com. There's lots of episode recommendations there for you. couple of closing reminders before we wrap up. If you use Apple Podcasts to listen to the show, there's now a subscribe button there. And for just $2.99 a month, you can now receive ad-free MuggleCast and early access to each new episode of the show right within the Apple Podcasts app. So by subscribing through Apple Podcasts, you're supporting us just like our patrons do. You're just doing it through Apple instead of Patreon. You get less benefits on Apple Podcasts, but if you prefer Apple Podcasts, that's a great way to support us. So again, that's just 2 dollars a month. Very easy to do. Go to the show page and hit that subscribe button. You can also pledge for a year up front and you'll get a little discount if you do go for the annual subscription. So no matter how you support us, whether it's subscribing through Apple Podcasts or Patreon, telling a friend about the show, reviewing the show, we greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. And we're excited for another year of Mugglecasting. And I think that about does it for this week's episode. So we'll again be back next week with two more chapters from Chamber of Secrets. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.
1: Choo-choo.